Well, if you have uh, been with us these past couple of weeks, uh, then you know that this Advent season, uh, we're looking at four Advent themes. Uh, each theme uh, traditionally represented uh, by one of the four Advent candles. Uh, hope, love, joy, and peace. And each of these themes, is, it's also expressed in our Advent passage this year. Uh, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And so far, we've looked at hope and love. Uh, next week, we'll look at peace. And so today, we're going to consider joy. The coming of joy. And joy is one of my favorite topics. Now, not because I'm so full of joy. Uh, Because honestly, a lot of the time I'm not. But rather, because like you, I'm wired for joy. We're wired for it and we long so deeply for it. And this Advent theme is referenced specifically in our passage by the word rejoice. The word rejoice shows up three times in our passage. And so joy, joy, joy. Because with the coming of Jesus came the arrival of joy, of true joy. And who doesn't like joy, right? Who doesn't like joy? I mean, even the Grinch, Ebenezer Scrooge, they realized in the end that joy is preferable to grinchiness or grouchiness. But there's something more, something much deeper than even they saw, and we find it in our passage in the first part of Romans 5. And so let's pray, and then we'll hear God's word. Well, Lord, we do thank you for your word. We thank you that you have spoken, and that through the power of your Spirit, that you still speak to us today as we read and hear and study the Bible. And so we ask now that you would bless us, that you would do a deep transforming work in our hearts, that we might believe all the more, and that we might be those who are marked by your joy. And it's in Jesus we pray. Amen. And so Romans chapter 5, beginning with verse 1, hear the word of God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint us. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Verse 8, God shows his love for us, in that while we were still sinners, while we were still dead in our sin, Christ died for us. Verse 11, and we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is 
God's word. And what I'm, what I'm aiming for today, and just to put it out there in front of you, what I'm aiming for is this. That joy is only as strong as its object. Joy is only as strong as its object. And if Jesus is the true object of your joy, then your joy is solid and lasting and unshakable. And so this morning, I want us to look at two truths, uh, two truths that we uh, learn about joy, about true joy in this passage. And the first truth is this. First, true joy is not based on circumstances. True joy is not based on circumstances. You know, did did you notice Paul's startling statement in verse 3? We rejoice in our sufferings. Now, if that's true, then true joy can't be based on our circumstances. And, you know, that's where we so often get started on the wrong foot because we so often seek joy in our circumstances. At least I know that I do. And, and why is it that we do that? Well, it's because we often confuse deep, lasting joy with instant, temporary happiness. You see, what the world calls happiness isn't true joy. The world typically defines happiness as, as getting control of our lives, having our, our ducks in a row, so to speak, so that our circumstances are favorable. Now, favorable Circumstances aren't a bad thing. In fact, they can be a very good thing. But the problem is that we often think true joy is about getting our circumstances good, getting them in the right place. Well, probably the most joyful person that I have ever known was one of my favorite seminary professors, Marva Dawn. Uh, Marva Dawn is a woman who is marked by profound joy. Profound joy in the midst of profound suffering. Uh, She has some severe health issues, uh, debilitating chronic illness, uh, painful and and limitating physical disabilities. And I, I remember one day arriving in class and Marva was sitting in the front of the class on a stool, which was unusual for her because usually uh, she taught standing up. Uh, She was in her mid-50s at the time and yet had to use a cane, but nonetheless she would still walk a little bit back and forth uh, so that she could see everyone and interact with us. But she was sitting uh, quietly on a stool. We all walked in and once we were seated, uh, she smiled and and, and she said to us, she said, class, I want to let you know why I'm sitting today. I I just happen to be more tired than usual and I I just realized that that if, if I fall If I fall again, then I'll probably break my leg because of my bone issues. And if I break my leg again, then they'll probably have to amputate it. And I mean, that'll just be a big mess. And we were just sitting there like, wow. And she's like, oh, whoa, no, I'm sorry. I'm not not trying to to worry you. I'm just trying to explain. I'm sorry. I'm I'm just trying to explain why I'm sitting. Because you see, with me sitting today, I, I can't track the class as well. And so I need to let this side of the class know that you're going to have to really speak up because I'm mostly deaf in this ear. In, in this class, if you need my attention, you're going to have to wave a lot because I'm mostly blind in, in this eye. And Well, I just don't want any of you to think that I'm ignoring you 
That's all I'm trying to say. And she, she threw her hands up in the air because we just looked shocked. And she said, look, I should have died 10 years ago. But the Lord has kept me around for some reason, and so I'm just going to keep following and keep teaching. And he's going to work it all out in the end. And then she did what she does. She taught, just like she always did with a contagious joy, rooted in Jesus. Because, again, joy is only as strong as its object And the object of Marva's joy wasn't her circumstance, but rather her Savior. Now, I want to be clear. I want to be clear because Marva takes suffering very seriously. You know, suffering is still suffering, which means that it's still painful. Okay, so even in, in the midst of true joy, there may be things that you're, that you're struggling with. Things that you are sad about or mad about. Uh, ways that you have been hurt by someone or ways that you've hurt someone yourself. And things that you're sorrowful for. Maybe there are even things that you need to work to change. And so we should take suffering seriously while also taking seriously the goodness and grace of God. Because you see, we all face suffering. All of us, of one kind or another. Broken people living in a broken world, we inevitably encounter suffering. Again, Paul says, verse 3, we rejoice in our sufferings. And, and I realize reading that verse, it can be confusing. It can even be a frustrating verse because it's easily misunderstood. And so I want to be clear about what Paul is not saying. Paul is not saying that you rejoice for or about suffering. Hey, look at me. I'm suffering. This is great. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that you enjoy it. He's also not saying that you use it, that you use it as a way to deal with guilt, or that you use it as a badge to wear of Christian superiority. No, it's, it's none of that. What Paul is saying is this. Paul is saying that you and I can rejoice in the midst of our sufferings. We can rejoice in the midst of them. You're not necessarily happy about it, but you can learn to know joy in the midst of it. He's saying that we can know true, lasting joy in the midst of life's messes, in the midst of unfavorable circumstances. But how? Well, verse 11 We also rejoice in God. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we rejoice in God, though our circumstances do change, we can know true joy because God doesn't change. God does not change. He is not affected by any of our circumstances. He is solid. He 
is our solid rock, our strength, our refuge, our shield. His grace is always sufficient for our weakness. He is our true and lasting sustenance who has given himself for us that we might daily feed on him. Because feeding on circumstances leaves us hungry while feeding on Jesus fills us and strengthens us and encourages us. Now, when I was a kid, my mom told me not to eat between meals. Anybody else's mom tell them that? Okay, you know what true suffering's all about, don't you? But, you know, but, but, but seriously, what, what did mom say? She said, it'll ruin your dinner. It'll ruin your dinner. But, but of course, we're like, no, mom, look, dinner's a half hour away. I just, I'm, I'm hungry, just a little something, a cookie, a, a little Snickers bar, because, hey, we all know Snickers really satisfies, right? But you see, the, the, the problem, this is the problem. When we snack between meals, especially if it's junk food, then we get a, a temporary sugar fix, Okay, something that, that tells us that we're full and we don't feel as hungry as we, as we really are. It really masks what's going on inside of our bodies. It masks the need for protein and other nutrients. And so because it's masked, then we don't eat what we need to eat when we get to the dinner table. So mom was on to something. And the thing to realize is that, that favorable circumstances can be like that. Favorable circumstances can give us a temporary sugar fix, so to speak. We think that they satisfy. And so we start gorging ourselves on them. We think that they satisfy, but they don't. And they can't. But if we're mainly feeding on favorable circumstances, then we don't feed on the true bread that we really need. And so you see, just as the loss of snacks between meals drives us to the dinner table and the food that we really need, so too the loss of favorable circumstances drives us to Jesus, who we really need. And so what we read here in Romans 5 is that when things go bad, when they go bad and we are driven back to God, we see that when this happens, then, then we develop a composure, a, a resiliency. Our character is strengthened. We gain strength and endurance. We gain courage and we are filled with a deep, lasting joy. A joy that doesn't go away even when favorable circumstances do. Okay, so that, that's the first truth. The first truth about joy. That joy is not based on circumstances, but rather rooted in the goodness of Jesus. And the second truth is this. The second truth. That true joy is already not yet. True joy is already not yet. And if you've been a part of this church for any length of time, uh, there's a good chance that you have heard that theological phrase uh, from this pulpit, and, and probably several times. 
Because it's basically referring to how the blessings of God's salvation, are they, how they are already here, but not yet in full. And so we, we see at the very start of Romans 5, we see that we rejoice now in what we already have. What we already have in Christ. And that's what Paul is summarizing in the first couple of verses there. We rejoice now in what we already have. And we rejoice now in what we've not yet received in full. We rejoice in what is still to come. The end of verse 2. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, a sure and certain hope, guaranteed. You know, that, that is what we looked at uh, in Romans 8 earlier this fall. It's what we declared this morning when affirming our Advent hope. And also last week through our declaration of faith. And so last week, this is what we declared. We long for that day when our bodies are raised. When our bodies are raised, when the Lord wipes away our tears, and when we will dwell forever in the presence of God. For at that time, we will take our place in the new creation, where there will be no more death, or mourning, or crying, or pain, Ever, never again, and the Lord, the Lord himself, will be our light. That's what we declared, because that's the truth. And so, uh, back to Marva Dawn for just a moment. Now, one of the books that she wrote is entitled, Being Well When You're Ill. Being well when you're ill. Wholeness and hope in despite of infirmity. And in it, she says this. One of my biggest problems in dealing with the severe breakdown of my body is that I keep looking in the wrong direction. I too often look back to the past and the capabilities that I once had instead of looking to the future and what I will someday become. What I will someday become in the presence and by the grace of God. And so we look ahead. You see, you have got a life-changing certainty about the future. A sure and certain hope for tomorrow, for eternity, that breathes joy into your heart, into your life today. And it's a joy that's already here though not yet in full. We taste now, and we will taste in full later. So a a few years ago, I came across a fascinating article. It's one of those articles that you make sure uh, you've got a copy of because it's just fun to read. And, And the article, this is the title. It's entitled, Revisiting 1977's Toyless first Star Wars Christmas, 40 years later. Yeah, long title. And and the gist of it is this. So it was looking back 40 years prior to that first Christmas 
after Star Wars had been released. And so, after the release, you know, as that release was coming, and of course I'm talking about the release of the original and the best Star Wars film. But, but heading into 1977, George Lucas had this idea. And he decided he'd go around to some toy companies and say, Hey, look, I, I've, I've got a movie. It's going to come out. I think there's a chance that it could be pretty good. And I want to see if there's some toy company, a toy company that would want to partner in, in making toys and action figures that go with the film. Great idea. Except toy company after toy company after toy company said no. Now, here's the thing. You want to know why they said no? They said no because toy companies didn't make action figures and toys that go with movies. They only did it for television shows because TV shows have series, multiple seasons. They last. Movies are one and done, right? Well, finally, uh, George Lucas uh, talked to an executive at a toy company at the time called Kenner. Kenner Toys. And the guy loved the idea. He said, that's great. We'll do it. So he went back to the other executives and the board and said, here's what we're going to do. It's a movie called Star Wars. It's coming out. And we're going to make toys in time for Christmas. And everybody else said, no, no, there's a problem. This can't be done. And, And here was the problem. So February 1977 was when the trailer for Star Wars, the original, first came out. And then the movie would be released in May. And at that time, there was no way to mass produce enough toys by the Christmas shopping season. And so they're like, we can't do this. And that executive said, that's not a problem. That's not a problem at all. Because instead of selling actual Star Wars figures this Christmas... We'll sell the promise of Star Wars action figures. We'll sell the promise of them, and so that is what they did. They sold an empty box with a promise inside. It was known as the Star Wars Early Bird Certificate Package. The Early Bird Certificate Package, and your parents could get it for you for a mere $10. So Christmas morning comes, you're excited about a certain box under the tree, you rip off the wrapping paper, there's a box and you open it and it's empty, except for this certificate. Now it's a mail-in certificate and it was guaranteeing the holder who mailed it in, it was guaranteeing that you would receive the 12 original Star Wars action figures when they were ready. Now, the box also could fold open. It opened up into a colorful display, a display stand to remind you of what was coming. And on that display stand, it had a a picture of all 12 of the characters on a space background and then a little place in front of each character where when those action figures started arriving, you could display those action figures because they wouldn't all be coming at once. It would be one and then another and then another. Now, here's the kicker. When would those action figures start arriving? It's Christmas Day. You're excited. They would start arriving sometime between February 1 and June 1. Okay, nearly six months in some cases, and that is an eternity for little kids. 
and even some of us adults. Well, in reading the article, one thing that the journalist who wrote it did is she interviewed uh, some adults who had been little kids at the time. And one of the guys that she interviewed, uh, he said this. He said, that was really my best Christmas ever. My best Christmas ever. It lasted. It lasted month after month after month after month. Because you see, there was joy found in the promise. There was joy found in the guarantee and what he knew was coming. And it made the wait exciting. Even on hard days. There was joy in what he had and joy in what he knew was coming. And getting original Star Wars toys and, and figures as a little kid was pretty epic. And I should know because I was one of those kids. But brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, what we have, what we have in Christ, and what we know is coming is so much more epic than Hollywood could ever dream of. So much more epic than anything we could ever dream of. And it's coming. The joy is here. And the joy is coming. Already here. Not yet in full. But on its way. And that's the second truth. The second truth about joy, that true joy is already, not yet, but on its way. And friends, true lasting joy, no matter how many good things are offered around us, true lasting joy can only be found in Jesus. Only in him. Jesus himself said, I have come that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. And then later, the the writer of Hebrews said that it was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Because you see, Jesus is the Lord of joy. He is the joy giver. The joy giver who laid down his life for us on the cross so that we might taste and see now, regardless our circumstance, and also find hope and true joy as we look ahead to all that is coming. And so this Advent season, this Advent season, let us both look back and celebrate the first coming of Jesus, his first advent. And let us also continually look ahead and celebrate the certainty of his second advent, the coming of joy in full. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are the Lord of joy. Thank you that you came, that you first came to give yourself for us on the cross 
to save us, to rescue us from our sin, and to reconcile us to God. We thank you that you are coming back, that you are coming back to raise us up with you and to make all things new. And Lord, as we wait, as we yearn for that day, would you fill us with true hope and with your joy? And it's in you we pray. Amen.